Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Rian Sali is uh, an intern for the Institute of Race Relations, but he's also a, a student, which he will elaborate on. So, Rian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Rian, what, uh, you are a student. Yes, I am. I'm studying politics, philosophy and economics at Stellenbosch University. Okay. Tell us, just give us some background. Where, where, where do you live? Where, how, where were you brought up? Um, what, what, a brief description of what be, of your, of your upbringing. Um, so I live in Wellington in the Western Cape. I used to live in Durban. And surprisingly, I grew up in the Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I was very steeped in, into Islam because my father was or is Muslim. Um, however, in 2014, I converted to Christianity, um, even though at that time I wasn't practicing Islam per se, um, but I had been for many years. Um, so that's sort of a brief overview of who I am and uh, sort of my upbringing since you know, I was however young, however I could remember from um, up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do believe that that sort of shaped my view on this whole conflict mm-hmm. from the past up until now because I had very different views right. about the Israel and Palestinian conflict. Okay, uh, Rian, I'm going to I'm going to come to that in detail because I, I think it's an absolutely fascinating situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I just go back a little bit and just uh, uh, find uh, just ask things arising from what you said? Um, mm-hmm. I say I take it that you said your father is Muslim and your mm-hmm. mom Christian. Uh, um, any, yeah, sorry. You're Christian, and so because I lived a lot with my father's side of the family when I was younger, mm-hmm. I was practicing um, Islam and I was, you know, as much as I practice Christianity today, I was practicing Islam quite uh, in depth at mm-hmm. that time while mm-hmm. I was younger. Um, and after we moved to Durban, my parents obviously separated. Um, you know, I stopped really practicing Islam, but I didn't, I didn't uh, view myself as a Christian or mm-hmm. an atheist. I still viewed myself as a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and only later on, I, you know, made a very bold decision uh, to, you know, to change, mm-hmm. you know, that identity, that that religious identity mm-hmm. of myself. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh- Interesting question. So you obviously, having you being fairly steeped in it, you are well acquainted with uh, the tenets of uh, of Islam. Mm-hmm. You said you you converted in two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um, why? What made you change? W- well, um, I surprisingly I went to church for the very first time in my life mm-hmm. in twenty fourteen, um, and. You know, 
just the experience. I never believed someone really convinced me to go. <laughs> I didn't actually You're want to go. I went, I went because I wanted to just, you know, have them off my back about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and I had a different experience. Mm-hmm. Um, almost an unexplainable experience. And so I, you know, decided to cross that, that kind of that threshold. Um, and so it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the tenets of Islam. Um, because now I would be regarded as almost an infidel, you know, leaving mm. the faith. Mm. Um, yeah, so anyone familiar with that would understand that that's, um, if I were to be, if I had lived in the Middle East, somewhere in the Middle East, um, that would be severely punishable. Okay. <laughs> severely to the, in, in, as, as far as I understand is, uh, it would most, it would most commonly be death. Yes, yes, it would be there. Um, obviously, uh, in 2014, how old were you? I was 19. I just turned 19 mm-hmm. um, in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my first year of university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was obviously at university where I had that encounter. Um, mm-hmm. I never really... You know, I never read the Bible. I didn't know anything about the teachings of mm. scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was totally unfamiliar and it, it really caught some of my family off guard when I mm. gave them that news. You know, I've mm. decided to. What, 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 what was the response? I mean, given the, given the fact of the seriousness of, of, of leaving Islam, um, as we've mentioned, uh, mm. how, how did your, your dad deal with it? Um, well, so because we've been separated from my dad's side of the family for quite some time, mm-hmm. for th- for that from that portion of the family, you know, I didn't really need a response, mm-hmm. uh, so to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my mother's side of the family and my mother was—they were quite elated. They were quite happy mm-hmm. about it. Um, but I can just imagine what. Um, my father's family would have thought because when I was still with them, um, there was no mention of Christianity. It's almost like it's a no-go zone. Mm, mm. Um, so I can just imagine what they would have said. But thankfully enough, um, because we lived in Wellington, which is quite far from them, they live in mm. Cape Town. Uh, you know, I didn't really get that response, but mm. I could just imagine what it was. Mm. Well, you, you mentioned earlier um, your your attitudes, responses, feelings for um, the, the conflict, the is- Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and mm-hmm. uh, the, the recent outbreak of violence. Um, mm. Tell us about your perspective on it, both from a Particularly, you know, from a, as being a Christian, it involving, uh, you know, a response to to Judaism and the which is invariably in clash with 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 Islam, mm. and and the fact that and the fact that Israel is, and we'll talk later, it becomes the pariah in every in every after every event. Mm. So, Sarah, it's very clear that this is about one thing and one thing only. It's about total domination. Mm. Um, and we have a large segment of 
my generation and the the Gen Zs mm. who are being totally bombarded with propaganda mm-hmm. um, from radical Islamists. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's become mainstream. Mm. That, and that's the most shocking thing. Anti-Semitism has now become a mainstream thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are now moving to a stage where history, as we know it, is being distorted right in front of us. Mm. And if we don't take, if I, if people like myself who speak publicly on various issues, mm. don't take up the mantle to push back against this, we will allow an entire generation to um, understand a different history. Mm. Um, for the first time, we have such a huge support for a terror group. Mm. To mm. say that I'm shocked is an understatement. Hamas is a terrorist organization, mm. and they run the people in Gaza. Um, they lead those people, right? So it's, it's led by a terrorist regime. You would, if you were to wake up today um, and turn on social media, go on whatever platform you want to go on and try to find information on this conflict, I wouldn't blame you for siding with the terrorists because mm-hmm. the kind of information coming out of there is so one-sided and even the Western media has become um, propaganda machines for ideologies mm. that are seeped in terror and hate. Mm. And this is why we have um, now currently U.S. senators, influencers going back on what they said a few weeks ago mm. because they realize the severity of what they are doing. Because a lot of Jewish people... Mm. in Western countries or all over the world are now being attacked Mm. physically because they are Jewish, Mm. not because they live in Israel, because they are Jewish. And that is the, that is the crux Mm. of this entire conflict. It is not to gain more land because Mm. more land was given. And I'm sure we'll go through that a little bit, Mm. uh, sort of wipe out the Jewish people as we know them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, perhaps I can, I can sort of add to that. Um, there's been a problem with, with the, a lot of the Western media, and I've just, just literally, literally minutes ago just finished an article that deals both with that and the fact that Hamas is not there. Is, it, it, their goal is not to liberate the Palestinians and create a Palestinian state. They want to create a, a holy... Um, um, Entity for the whole Muslim world, and only they, as as the representatives of Islam, can can be look after the um, holy sites in in the country. I mean, it's 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 everything. You, it's everything you say it is. It's absolutely bizarre, and yet the West seems to be asleep on its feet in this regard. And you know, this is a this is a total distraction because they were supposed to hold an election not too long ago, actually very recently. Yeah. Um, and they haven't done so for six, for over 16 years. Mm. So this whole conflict comes at a very convenient time for this uh, terrorist regime. Mm. Um, and I think the biggest elephant in the room is that Israel or this whole conflict is presupposed on a notion of apartheid. Mm. Mm. Um, and that's a 
totally uh, incorrect or uh, misguided judgment on it, mm. right? The Israeli people are not allowed in Gaza. Mm. Yet Arabs live or coexist with uh, the Jewish people and Israelis peacefully mm. in Israel. Mm. So if we want to talk about apartheid, if we want to talk about uh, people being uh, judged for immutable characteristics, mm. it's actually the authorities mm. in Gaza who's doing this. Um, and there have been various cases of human rights violations of dispossession of property by mm. the Palestinian authorities, by the Hamas um, authorities, of people, of refugees in sort of their, their own their own land. Mm. Um, and they expropriate property from people. And this is not in the, in the mainstream media. Um, it, there's actually a huge report on it by Amnesty International. Um, and you'd even see supporters of Amnesty International and certain Amnesty International activists uh, not even understand their own reporting. <laughs> kind of yeah, no, no, they are very culpable. <laughs> the, the whole conflict uh, is based on false notions. Mm. Um, we have a large segment of BLM Incorporated and LGBTQI mm. communities supporting Hamas terrorists, yeah. yet in in Hamas in uh, in Gaza, I mean, there is Section 152 of the Penal Code criminalizing same-sex relations, which is punishable by 10 years imprisonment. So I would challenge these supporters of a terrorist regime to take their things, if they think that this is a just cause, and go fight for it in that country. <laughs> um, and I bet they wouldn't last five minutes in that country because those authorities don't care about equality. They don't care about rights. They care about domination and they care about imposing their religious authority on others. Um, many people don't even understand talking about this issue, don't even understand what is Sharia law and what, what the, that law encompasses and some of the things they want to implement in countries um, on religious notions. Because if you don't accept the faith, then you are everything that is wrong with the world. Can I can I raise two things uh, or comment on two things you've raised? The first thing is that very recently Hamas issued an edict for Gazans that women could not venture outside unless they are accompanied by an approved chaperone or an adult a male member of the family. Now, I mean, even a place as as theocratic as as Saudi Arabia is moving away from this, um, and the the. I think the the other thing, of course, is the whole issue of of, of homosexuality, etc. The the, the um, propaganda is so successful that you have LGBTQ communities shunning Israel when Israel is undoubtedly one of the most tolerant countries in the world. That mm. that has got to say something, and yet people are not are not hearing it. And if you just uh, go further on that point about women, uh, that, you, you know, you have this these honor killings that mm. happens in Gaza where if uh, uh, girls 
18, 19, 20 sleep with any man, they are viewed as sexual, sexually immoral um, and families go out and kill them. Mm. And activists in that region have been fighting against this for years and it's an ongoing crisis that's happening there. So discrimination is rife in Gaza through the Hamas um, regime. Uh, they expropriate property from people. They haven't built they haven't built hospitals. They haven't built infrastructure. They've created no sort of economy for their people after so many years of being in power. Um, they don't hold elections for 16 years. They don't allow Israelis in their country. Uh, they hate Jewish people. They are trying to, you know, mm. exterminate Jewish people. And yet we have a situation where the West and the Western media and influencers who have no cooking clue about um, uh, the Middle Eastern history, holding Hamas on a pedestal. Yeah, which absolutely. Is quite absolutely. a peculiar thing to be happening at this Abs- moment. Absolutely, it's bizarre. Um, Rian, stay with me. We're going to an ad break, and I'd like to pick up on uh, uh, the issue of classical liberalism in South Africa. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and particularly to my fascinating interview with uh, Rian Sali, a student uh, who's, who converted from uh, Islam to Christianity and has very strong feelings about uh, Hamas and Gaza and the misrepresentation of, of, of Israel. Uh, Rian, let's move from the very depressing state of, of sort of a, a, a gleeful indulgence in anti-Semitism worldwide to the issue of classical liberalism. Um, you are a classical liberal, and that's not exactly a, a, in itself a very popular uh, political position to adopt. Uh, how, did you, how did you come to free markets, freedom of speech, uh, ownership of property, private ownership of property, etc.? You know, Sarah, it's, it's a very interesting uh, little tale, but to summarize it is, is to say that while, and you know, while this was happening at university, my changing of religion, at the same time, I was very for government intervention. Mm. I believe that expropriation will be the best thing in the world. It will just help everyone. Um, and viewed the world through a, a very uh, racialized lens. Mm. And it's only it only had to come to a point where you notice that the government isn't really for the people. Mm. They aren't really as much for the people as they claim to be. Right. Um, and so just looking at simple case studies of Venezuela and Zimbabwe, and that always perplexed me as someone on the other side, um, because we never had an answer to that. You would mm. always just deflect from it. Um, and so you, you deflect on colonialism and then use all these other, these other signals to indicate, no, we need to move away from this. Right. Um, and it's only very recently in recent years that I started to discover, well, more private enterprise actually helps more people. Why are European countries successful? Why is the United States successful? Um, so it wasn't through the lens of, 
political leaders saying certain things. Mm. It was just me doing, you know, my own bit of introspection to my own beliefs at the mm. time. Um, and I tried to find examples of where big government works because I tried to convince other people mm. and I couldn't find any. Mm. Um, and so classical liberalism, like you said, in South Africa is not a very popular um, uh, ideal to have or, mm-hmm. you know, position to hold. Yeah. But it is arguably the one that advocates for the most uh, or most freedoms that mm. we have today. Uh, our the foundation of our constitution, which is arguably one of the one of the best in the world, um, is based on classical liberal principles. Mm. Uh, the foundations of our constitution. Um, so things like private property rights. Um, that that individuals need to be able to create their own wealth and hold that wealth mm-hmm. is, I think, arguably the most important uh, issue or principle that we could be debating today in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Because without private ownership, uh, we don't have the right to private health care. We don't have the right to our own private property. Um, the government can come in at any time and take your guns away. Yeah. Um, so the notion of private property doesn't, like in the constitution, it says that property is not limited to land. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes into all spheres. So when the government moved towards the expropriation of property, it had a domino effect. Mm-hmm. And now people are being surprised by, uh, oh, the government doesn't even want you to have a, a gun for self-defense. Mm-hmm. And so now many people are very shocked about this. Mm-hmm. But Across the board, yeah. Yeah, but once they move to expropriate property, they set in motion a whole series of events. Mm-hmm. And many more things are coming. Like uh, in 2019, when Sir Ramaphosa signed uh, the very controversial Internet Censorship Bill, mm-hmm. which hasn't been promulgated yet, but it could be at any moment... Um, and all our freedoms online are stripped away overnight. Yeah. Well, they're, 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 it's essentially they're moving in that direction with almost mm. with new piece of legislation. Um, and then they want to own our data. I mean, can you imagine the government owning our data? Can I ask you this, um, just to canvas it in the last few minutes? What we've got municipal elections coming up, which hopefully the IC will stand firm on, will happen uh, later this year. Essentially, you, you're trying to, once trying to approach communities that may have traditionally voted ANC. What, what message should you, should, should they be getting and what should one not be bothering with as a political party? What, what is it that you should really be saying to people to, to persuade them to change allegiance? You know, I think most people don't really care about politics and the side issues. They care about living a, a successful life, being happy, um, creating sufficient wealth. I think everybody wants that for themselves, having a good job that pays well. Um, and a lot of the time we have political parties who tell us all about the problem. We, we know the problem in depth. To its fullest analysis, we know who's the problem. We know who created the, this corruption. We know about all the scandals, 
and they offer very little of what it is or their vision for the country. Um, so it's one thing to offer a solution or a vague solution, like we will create jobs, but it's another thing to create a vision for the country. Um, I haven't he- really heard any political party create this vision that imagine a society where you are well off, where your job is paying well, um, where you'd continuously do well, and they haven't really framed it in that in that way per se. I think that that's where political parties need to move to, um, and that's how we are going to create a very progressive society that is in favor of the sort of classical liberal ideals and freedom and liberty, et cetera, et cetera.